Welcome back to There's Something About Dolomite. I'm Brandon Jenkins, and this week we'll be talking about kung fu fighting pimps. You're under arrest. You're going to have to take me! That was the scene of Rudy Raymore's Dolomite fighting off FBI agents attempting to arrest him. Moore was a huge fan of kung fu and made sure it had a role in all of his films, including Dolomite and its sequel, The Human Tornado. Dolomite wasn't the only one getting in on the action either. His all-girl gang could throw kicks too. I've got an all-girl army that knows what to do. They'll fox as hell and practice kung fu. I can remember being a kid going to the theater to see Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx. I was electrified by the one-two punch of Jackie's grace and force. Like, damn, he packed everybody up and looked cool while doing it. I'd go on to learn that that youthful enthusiasm that I felt wasn't unique to my personal experience. If you haven't realized by now, it all goes back to the money. When Hollywood producers saw how much profit they could make off of exploitation films, they realized they could do the same with lo-fi foreign films too. So they would often set up double features, showing martial arts films and exploitation films back-to-back in theaters. The effect was a crossover appeal that fueled an appetite for kung fu among black film fans. International stars like Bruce Lee rose out of these foreign flicks, like Way of the Dragon, Fist of Fury, and most notably, 1973's Enter the Dragon. A fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. It was in Enter the Dragon that we saw the inclusion of black actors like Jim Kelly, strengthening the cultural crossover even more. Martial arts took on a much different life in exploitation movies. At times, the scenes could be a little goofy. Like sometimes the sound effects for the kicks, punches, and slaps would be completely off of the action. Today, we still find kung fu references in various corners of black culture. Like in 2009's Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite follows the black exploitation formula to the T. The title character is a former CIA agent who sets out to avenge his brother's death. Although Black Dynamite means business, the film provides a lot of hilarious moments, which feels like a nod to Rudy Raymore's Dolomite. Black Dynamite was played by Michael Jai White, who created and wrote the film. White was inspired by the films of the 70s that played in theaters during his childhood a childhood that also involved him learning the martial arts, a practice that he maintains today. With the combo of martial arts, filmmaking, and fandom, Michael J. White is really our modern-day avatar for the exploitation era, which makes him the perfect person for this week's episode to discuss the deep relationship between black culture and kung fu. Michael J. White, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about your career in exploitation a little later on, but I want to start by going back to when you were a kid and you were first introduced to martial arts. Do you remember how you got started? Well, I started when I was about seven, seven or eight years old. You know, I started in a, a, what's really popular now, which is um, jujitsu. I grew up in tough streets and, you know, I, I wanted some, uh, you know, some armor, basically. And it's a Spartan society, so we tend to 
look toward things that are empowering. And, you know, because we're coming from the generation beforehand, before us, which felt like they were really downtrodden and and, uh, really um, oppressed. And so as you as you noticed how the when we started making the movies, there was a bit of an overcorrection, you know. Uh, And so, you know, then we had the the supermen. We had we had Superfly, the Mac, Willie Dynamite, and Dolomite on our walls, and I said, "Wait a second, these were pimps." You know, so <laughs> I I had to really look at that, and I said, "My goodness," and uh, and you know, we had these these movies where you know, here's black men who were just slaughtering like seventy white people on the street with with <laughs> nothing happening to them, and they and they were not meant as comedies. To me, that's funny as hell. And so, to, <laughs> so to treat it, to treat it um, accurately is, you know, providing the comedy. Yeah, you know, you mentioned um, having these um, these figures on your wall, which, when you think about it, is kind of crazy. But I like it because you you position them as superheroes. Um, did any of the fighting and martial arts that you saw in these films uh, attract you? Were you able to kind of evaluate it and say, oh, this is this or this is that or Maybe it's not as good, or maybe it's better. Well, I mean, I, as a martial artist, I was I was influenced by the top martial artists, uh, which were never represented in the black exploitation uh, era, because you know it's you really didn't those two didn't kind of match up. There was some quotient of it in some of the black exploitation uh, movies, but nowhere near the Shaw Brothers movies that influenced me martial arts wise. Hmm. What do you think brought? Uh, martial arts, the black exploitation in the first place, like just this, this sort of cultural exchange that you see, whether it's true to form or not, there's still a presence. Like you said, there's a, there's a small quotient of it in there. Yeah. What allowed that factor to, to permeate not just black exploitation films, but ultimately black culture? Well, I tell you the truth of the matter is the first great martial artist all came from the hood. There's no disputing this. A martial arts was introduced in the black communities first. Think about it for a second. You had people coming in from Okinawa and Japan, uh, you know, GIs uh, stationed in Korea, all, all those different places, coming back to teach, you know, and, and train in this brutal, at that time, make no mistake, it was very brutal. This is something that you cannot sell in Beverly Hills. They had to open up in the hood first. So, some of the greatest martial arts fighters came from the ghetto. There's no mistake about this. And, uh, and then flourished from there. So, honestly, there was a deep connection even before the movies. You know, you mentioned that martial arts came to the hood. I'm wondering, and how that affected the neighborhood, I'm wondering how the reverse affected that. The fact of it landing in the hands of these black and brown people in um, what amounts to isolated areas. And how that affects the way that we see it um, in in the streets, see it in in film and television. How someone like myself can grow up in a world where there's, um, you know, I had a black taekwondo instructor. Right. I mean, man, there was no other place for anybody to teach that. People who grew up and had to fight for a living and to for their existence, they were the first students. You know, so you know, and, and at that time, that's why the powers that be were quite afraid of it. And that was that was a time when people had to register their hands as weapons, 
because you know it, 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 you were a weapon at that time. There's no way you could get a black belt without damn near losing some teeth. So Jesus. yeah, it was it, it was really rough then. So these are the images I grew up with when I'm seven years old. Those are the images I saw in the adults and what fighting really looked like. And so you know you had to be a tough person. I'm wondering why in these films um, you said like it's sort of. Um Art imitates life and maybe a little bit of the reverse effect as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you see these films and various forms of violence are, are, or fighting or conflict are prevalent, whether it be simple argument all the way to, um, like, the use of, like, guns. But in a lot of them, you do see martial arts. And I just wonder what that gravitational pull is that says, hey, this is going to be the way we depict conflict. This is going to be the way we depict uh, alpha male. This is going to be alpha female. This is going to be the way we depict authority. It- it would all. It will always be as a human animal. If we want to look for something that represents um, the closest thing to superhero, <laughs> superheroics, is that not the martial arts? That is the closest thing to somebody being able to tap into a strength that's usually beyond what we normally expect. You know, if you looked at Bruce Lee and you, if you looked at Sonny Chiba. Uh, those type of people, they were they were tapping into an internal manifestation of martial arts more so than people might understand today. In the 70s, it was more so of the internal fortitude that you saw than anything else. Look at Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly, when you really dissect what he does, right, um, somebody, and I hate to sound like this, but look at the way Jim Kelly kicks. Look at a lot of his techniques. It's not particularly um, advanced, but his attitude is. That is really what, it, it, you know, people come away with, you know, uh, and that's the spirit of martial arts. And so that spirit always spoke louder than anything else. Well, what would we say about your character in Black Dynamite. You know, Black Dynamite dropped in 2009. It's been about a decade. You you both wrote it and starred in it. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of tell us about the, the fires that forged that film? Well, I mean, my heroes, man. My heroes were people like Robert Hooks, man, who was, he was the man to me. And, uh, you know, he played in this movie Trouble Man. And mm. my God, I, I that was I, I never saw a more strong and cooler image in my entire life. Even to this day, to me, Robert Hooks was like he was the the ultimate. And for for Black Dynamite was I you know I it was like a combination of you know Robert Hooks, uh, Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, and Jim Kelly. That's kind of who I kind of concocted to be Black Dynamite. But then it was a loving homage to the entire genre. And sometimes I want to say black exploitation, but there were, I mean, Shaft could not be a black exploitation movie. Shaft was an, an action movie. Cleopatra Jones was an action movie that, that starred black action stars. Unfortunately, it, that kind of black exploitation, you know, title gets spread on, you know, legitimate yeah. action movies that starred black people but you know of course there was an exploitive part of it when when Hollywood found out that they can exploit this genre and get movie get money from it 
So then I wonder what what term would you what term would you denote to black dynamite? Well, I mean, black dynamite was you know it's it's an homage to that era mm. where there was black exploitation, um, you know, which brings us back to what we're talking about today with uh, that represented every spectrum of those movies where you got the Dolomite movies, which were movies that were like, you know, I'm going to get this done type of movie you know, <laughs> yeah. any way possible. And of course, there's funny things that occur when you're just doing a movie on an absolute shoestring budget. And then you got the other end of the spectrum where you got the Mac, you know, which, you know, you had, you know, Max Julian and Richard Pryor. That's on a level of that could have been uh, nominated to me. Won awards. Yeah, because, I mean, th- that, it, it, I mean, to me, um, Hustle and Flow was just a, a updated version of, of the Mac, you know, to some degree. <sighs> wow. But, um, you know, so you had the whole spectrum. So Black Dynamite, I want to do homage to all of that. And the fact that you wrote it as well, you know, it's like you really put um, your heart and soul into making this happen. Why was this such a focus? I mean, it's one thing to to have a um, a passion for these things and to enjoy them, but to decide, hey, it's 2009. I'm going to make sure that people see this and I'm going to incorporate a little bit of everything. There is going to be action. There is going to be uh, heroics and alpha maleism. There is going to be humor. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things baked into into one film and in an era that's decades after um, essentially the run of the core of black exploitation. Yeah, well, because, I mean, it was so alive at that time. Look at look at the layers of it. And uh, if, if we, you know, we see it now, like when, see, I wanted to, I wanted to do the movie and make it feel exactly like the first time you're seeing uh, one of those movies. Uh, you see that same um, element with, with um, Stranger Things. You're watching Stranger Things, and you swear you're, you're 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 reliving uh, the experience of watching an '80s movie, and they they put all kinds of elements of the '80s in that movie. This is exactly what I was you know what I was doing with Black Dynamite, um, where you know you've got the the boom mic <laughs> showing up in the shot, yet the producers think okay that nobody's going to notice that. You know, just like in, in, in the, in the, you know, I, bar- I borrowed that from, from Dolomite and Rude Ray Moore. You know, there's a lot of stuff I borrowed from uh, Dolomite in the movie. You know, like the, there's the boom mic thing, and there's also, I mean, one of my favorite, my favorite line from any Dolomite movie. I had to stick in Black Dynamite, which was, "Where is Bucky, and what has he had?" <laughs> Which to me was just it. I I would just play that sometimes. It's just it's just hilarious. Um, I I got to tell you, I I don't want to interrupt, but the line in Black Dynamite when it's Euphoria, shut the up. That is the one that we've been running back over and over and over again. And it's if the passion you have for that line, is sort of the passion that I have for this line. It's like comedic gold. Oh, thank you, thank you. I mean, you know, it it's. I, I loved those that genre. It, it really spoke of a time that was was so electric, right? And it only existed for like really four and a half, five years. Yeah, you know. And so, you know, I I wanted to to put that up, you know, at a time where we could reflect on it and 
and, and, and extract what was so beautiful and funny at the same time. What about the martial arts that we find in the film? You know, some really amazing fight scenes. Can you kind of talk to us about your decision making and, and why you chose to incorporate what you incorporated? Well, yeah, if, you, if you're going to have a, a badass black superhero, <laughs> you got to have them doing kung fu. Like, even if they could barely kick, you know, <laughs> which was really always pretty damn funny. But of course, well, with, with this character, yeah, I mean, since, since I am a martial artist, I you know, definitely had to put that stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Rudy Raymore and Dolomite. Mm-hmm. Um, in what ways did he influence the film outside of just maybe comedic timing or um, leaving the boom mic in the shot? Well, I mean, I, luckily, I, I actually met Rudy Raymore. I, when I met him, I really was trying to figure out, was he serious? You know, mm-hmm. like like where where did did uh, Rudy Ray Moore end and Dolomite begin? Like, is that the same character? Or is he doing a Andy Kaufman type of thing? Or, but you know, it was like he just was moving forward. He had the gumption to get these movies done, though he wasn't the smoothest cat in the world. And he was he was he he had this awkwardness that I thought was hilarious. But a lot of that was not intentional. It was just him just moving forward, you know, just getting it done. Like when you see him doing doing the martial arts, there was this thing that he would do. And I don't know if you've seen, um, I think it's the Avenging Disco Godfather, where he kind of goes, you know, he, he does this kind of a. And so I really wondered, like, where, where did that come from? But he 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 was kind of serious. So I want to say, is it fair to say that Dolomite had, I mean, clearly an effect on you, but um, what do you think about his lasting legacy and sort of impact um, on black exploitation, but also just like his work in black film and culture? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, here's a guy who, you know, he did his um, albums and what have you, and he just had that fortitude to get these movies done and so that's very heroic on his side and then have a following that you know I mean you you really couldn't take your eyes off of it you know it became its own kind of animal you know his uh sort his, of like a movement yeah his delivery his all of that and it, and it's like even though it's crazy you just like I say you can't take your eyes off of it and so, you know, I, I was really happy about, you know, Eddie doing this story about him because I you know, I've all, I found him to be a fascinating character. But, um, you know, it, you know what, what would that, that movement be like without that guy? You're thinking about the work you've done, not just, um, you know, sharing your story here with us, but, you know, like to make these films and not just star in them, to decide, hey, I want to keep this, this style going. I want people to have this information in this new era so that both they can enjoy this film, but also look backward and say, hey, like this is this is a piece of this history and culture. Do you feel like you're carrying a torch for black exploitation or really just that era at large? Absolutely. Look, I mean, I could watch a piece of the action right now and feel is connected to it as as the time when I first saw it. it even even it actually even means more now, you know, and, you know, it's still relevant. You know, it's a shame that you have to go back to find these images, these all-powerful images of black folks to this day 
there has not been anything like that. You know, I just invite every, anyone to just kind of, you know, kind of do a co- comparison contrast. Kind of just look into it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, if, if we've if there's an evolution, what happened to our our badasses? You know, I mean, maybe that's why there's such that that love for Black Dynamite, right? Like, just not only did you work, you know, it's like working as much as you can outside of the system, um, as well as what I was reading about your upcoming film. You know, working outside the system so that you can make something that's um, that isn't diluted, right? Something that feels true to the essence that you want to portray. Well, I, I, I've I've had so many opportunities to do it the other way. But no, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror for the rest of my life. I'm going to be true to me because guess what? Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, those guys, they're, they're friends of mine. And there's something that I have a, a kinship with, and that's, that's about being true to myself. And I wouldn't sell that for anything, anything. I can give you horror stories and all kinds of stuff about, um, you know, about uh, offers and and stuff that, you know, for me to do things that were, you know, beneath me. But, you know, I I I I continue to be the happiest person I know, or one of them, and I think it's because you know I'm I'm staying true to who I am, and I'm I'm being blessed to be able to continue with my my art and uh i'm not going i'm not going to change um yeah my final question for you mm-hmm. what's on your black exploitation watch list what's the films that anyone listening to this podcast they got to go watch well I, you got to you got to watch the mac i mean my goodness it's like look at these movies when people called each other brother and they and they really meant it and nobody had to you know, coon, shuck and jive, or anything, and you, ha- you know, there's some great entertainment. You know, I, I, I would, I would say, start there, and then kind of celebrate what was beautiful about them. Yeah, Michael J. White, thank you, thank you for the conversation, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Before we go, we got a quick message from Wesley Snipes who stars as Derville Martin in Dolomite Is My Name. Between the black exploitation, or what they called black people working back at the time, and the kung fu films, that was my Saturday afternoon. This is the era of my childhood. I didn't get to live that life, so now I get to do it vicariously to playing the, playing the character. Can you dig it, man? <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's fun. <laughs> this is fun. Remember, check out Dolomite Is My Name out now on Netflix. Share your thoughts about the show by tweeting our friends at Strong Black Lead. The show is a collaboration between Netflix's Strong Black Lead and Pineapple Street Studios. Special thanks to executive producers Jasmine Lawson, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Shout out to my producers Agarena Shishagre and Jess Jupiter. Our original music is by Daoud Anthony. Tell your friends about the show and make sure to rate and subscribe to There's Something About Dolomite on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it. That's our show. We'll see you all next week.